Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by his spirit, will use his word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemerknoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemerknoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Rob Heron. I'm the assistant pastor here at Redeemer. What is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church, which means we're a community of people trying to learn how to love God and trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God. He's the Messiah, and he's come into the world to die for sins and reveal the love of the Father. So we, as his people, delight every week to gather in worship so we might rest in the love that God has for us in Jesus. And then as we rest in that love, we then delight to gather in community around tables and in homes, but most of all, in reading the Bible and in praying together, so we might remind one another of that great love that God has for us in Jesus. And as we rest in that love and remind one another of that love, we then delight to gather in service, so we might reflect the love of God to our family, to our friends, and to our neighbors here in Urban and University, Knoxville, with the real hope that in some small way that love would spill out to the ends of the earth. So that's who we are. We're a people trying to learn how to love God and trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And this morning, to help us do that in the season of Lent, we're continuing in our sermon series on the book of 2 Peter, which draws our, draws our eyes to the God of life who invites us into true life, which is what we could call Lenten life, the life that comes through death death unto resurrection. And this morning, we're going to be reflecting on the Lenten word in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. You can see that passage there printed in your bulletin, or you can find it in one of the Bibles provided for you in your row. So let's read together. 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts." Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me now for the teaching? Father, we thank you that you have not left us in darkness, but you have spoken your word to us as a light shining in the darkness. And so by your spirit, would it shine in our hearts so we might see Jesus and know his love and love him in return. And this we ask in his name. Amen. 
If you ask me what my love language is, I have a ready and definite answer for you. Conceptualized in his 1992 book, The Five Love Languages, Gary Chapman, he detailed these primary ways that people receive and give love to one another. It's words of uh, affirmation, quality time, gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. These are the five love languages. And without getting into the ins and outs of how helpful these categories are or not, my answer would definitely be Taco Bell. That's my love language. Because if you loved me, you would have put a crunch wrap supreme on this finger. You know, that's my love language. Second to that, easy second would be words of affirmation. And knowing that, my wife on my 30th birthday gave me really probably the most meaningful gift I've ever been given, which was this book, this notebook filled with letters from all of my closest friends with these words of love and encouragement to me. It really was this embodiment of what I have so viscerally throughout my life longed for, a loving word. But having this gift, it took me about six months to read through the letters. And that's not because there were thousands of letters. I'm not that popular. And it's not exactly because I was savoring the words. I found it difficult to open the book. I found it strangely painful to pour over these words that people had written to me. And so I would read a letter with that pain, and then I would put the book back on the shelf, and it would gather dust for weeks until I could muster up the will to look at it again. And I felt oddly disbelieving and distant from the words that these friends had given to me, this loving word. The focus of these words in 2 Peter is the word. It's the word of God's love to us in Jesus, the love of the Father that Jesus, God's Son, reveals. This word is the gift that every longing heart with all of our desires and wants and love languages craves to hear. And yet, as we pour over these words and look at the word in 2 Peter, we may find ourselves disbelieving. How can I really receive this word of God's love in Jesus to me when I can't see his mouth moving? I can't look him in the eyes as he says it. What if it's just fiction? What if it's just fabrication? Or maybe we feel distant from these words because I believe them and I want to believe them, but yet this word feels so far apart from my experience in the world that is so dark. Or the distance I feel maybe due to this sense of the seeming impossibility that this word of God's love could possibly really be for me. And the thought of truly hearing it, actually taking it in, seems more than you can bear. And so it'd be better to put it on the shelf. Keep it at a distance. Still, Peter invites us to hear God's word of love and hope that comes to us from the outside, but is meant to root within us, to live within us. And so for us, with our disbelieving and distant hearts, this is our prayer before God this morning. Let me hear your word. Let me hear your word. Would you say that with me? Let me hear your word. And to help us pray this prayer, cultivate it within us, what I want to do is look at the two aspects of the word God speaks to us and that he calls us to hear. The word is without and the word is within. 
The word is without and the word is within. So first, the word is without. And to start with definitions by word this morning, I specifically mean the word that Jesus is. It's the love of the Father that Jesus reveals, the love that the Father speaks to us in him. And when I say that the word is without, what I really just mean is that the word is outside of us. It originates and comes to us from outside of us. If God's word to us originated in our minds or in our imaginations or even in our own interpretation of it, then it would be identical to what Peter calls in verse 16, cleverly devised myths. In Peter's context, so in the ancient Greek world, myths were popular. They were stories about the pantheon of gods. I mean, they reflected some truth about reality, but they weren't to be taken literally true. And they were, they were fine. But this word myth could also communicate the idea of a fable, something that's just purely fabricated, entirely fiction. It's just made up. But whether it's a myth or a fable, the word connotes to us this idea of a story that originates in a human mind, in our minds. And Peter says, this is exactly what the word I'm communicating to you, relaying to you, is not. It's not a myth or a fable. It didn't originate in my brain or any other simply human brain. It's not a myth or fable. And he defends the word that he is holding out to us in verse 20, you can see, assuring us that it does not come from someone's own interpretation or someone's creativity or ingenuity. It is not, so he presses in verse 21, produced by the will of man. Instead, this word has been spoken by men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what I'm telling you, Peter is saying, is spoken by me, but it's not from me. It doesn't originate in my head. It originates in the mind and in the will of God. And so it comes from outside of us. It's without us in that way. But Peter, he's also, he's not saying that this word comes from God, and yet it's still just a myth or fable that's disconnected from reality. The word is outside us also, just in the sense that it's true, whether we accept it or not. Like a tree is real and true whether we accept it or not, or the law of gravity is true whether we accept it or not. Peter's saying, this word that I'm speaking, relaying to you, is just as much true outside of whether you accept it or not as those things. Just as much tethered to reality. It's actually the thing, the reality that tethers all other reality together. And so Peter, he's not a myth follower. He further argues in verse 16, you can see, because he and the others proclaiming this word were eyewitnesses. The word he preaches, he saw. He's saying, I'm not just telling you a story, I'm telling you what I saw and what I heard. So what is it that he saw? He saw the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He saw, he says, the majesty of Jesus. You look at verses 17 and 18, he explains what it is he witnessed. For when Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter is talking about the event recorded in three of the Gospels that Christians call the Transfiguration, and he retells it in a nutshell. Jesus led Peter and two other of his followers up on top of a mountain, and on top of the mountain, Jesus was momentarily transfigured, every bit of his appearance transformed to reveal the glory that he always possessed. 
But in that moment, Peter saw Jesus' future form of glory that would be unveiled permanently at the resurrection and when Jesus ascended to heaven. That's what Peter saw. And what did he hear? He heard this word from God the Father poured out over Jesus the Son. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. It's a word of perfect and unending love and delight. Peter saw the word and he heard the word. But it's interesting that Peter would bring up the transfiguration here when he on some level didn't have to. If he wanted to simply make the point, y'all, I'm not making this stuff up, he could have referenced seeing the risen Jesus. Or he could have referenced eating with the risen Jesus. And that would have been, you know, that's pretty real. But Peter focuses on the transfiguration because what he saw and what he heard is a glimpse into the meaning of everything. There on the mountain, to Peter's utter surprise, he saw a glimpse of hope breaking into a broken and dying world. And so he knew that hope is not just a story. The hope of all things made well is not just an idea. It resides entirely in a person. And then he heard the voice, the word of the Father's delight for the Son. And this word is a fulfillment of every hope, of every prophecy in the Bible. And this word that he heard explains why there is mysterious and unquenchable, unending longing and desire in our hearts. It's because we long to hear this word, which means that the word we most long to hear is not within us, it's without us. It comes from outside of us. It's a real word. And here's why this matters. Our disbelief toward the word, who is Jesus, and the love the Father reveals in him probably goes in two different directions. Either we disbelieve in the direction of thinking that this word is just a fable. It doesn't really come from God, it's made up, and so I don't really need it. And in fact, I suspect that this word of God's love to me is probably just a tool to convince me to stop seeking what I really want. Or our disbelief goes in the direction of thinking that this is a myth. And we think, I want to trust this word, I trust this word, but I often don't believe that it's connected to reality. I mean, it has some value, it's nice, but maybe it's just to help along the way for me to really find the truth of love and hope that I'm looking for inside of myself. But whatever direction our disbelief goes, it compels us to put our heart's trust within, within myself, within the realm of human relationships and what other people can give me, or within human stories of where else I could find this love and hope, this word. In the climactic moment of the documentary Free Solo, Alex Honnold, who is a climber, he's 2,000 feet up El Capitan, and he's free solo climbing, so climbing without a rope. And the documentary gets to this point where he is at the boulder problem. And it's where the mountain is just this smooth rock face, 2,000 feet up. And so he is hanging between one crack in the rock and another, and he has to essentially karate kick across one crack in the rock to grab a hold that is imperceptible to the viewer and grab hold of it with his leg. And this is a documentary, so what happens, happens. But 
if I were going to remake this as a fictional movie, which I hope happens, you could do this. You could, if you wanted to add a spicy twist to it, what you could do is have the camera zoom in on Alex, and the only thing you can hear is his breath and the wind and the shuffling of his foot as he prepares for the karate kick. And in the moment where you expect him to karate kick with his foot onto the other crack in the rock to hold on, he kicks his foot up and he kicks it right into his own hand, grabbing hold of his foot, suspended in midair, hanging 2,000 feet down, holding only onto air in his own leg, and then you freeze frame and you have Joe Esposito, you're the best around, freeze frame, the end, directed by Rob Heron. Just to be clear, this is my idea for a remake of the documentary Free Solo that is retold as a postmodern parable. So if there are any Hollywood executives in here that want to hear some of my other ideas, I'll be in the narthex after the service. Call me. Of course, here's the point. There's no point. Here's the point. Of course, no matter how much internal resolve Alex Honnold possessed, way more than what I possess, the only hope he had was to kick out, to reach out, to grab onto something outside of himself. Even a hold in the rock that is imperceptible to the viewer, a hold outside of himself on the rock that would be imperceptible to him if he weren't staking his entire life upon it. The word God speaks to us is fundamentally outside of us. And it is a word that's inaudible to us unless we stake our life and our love and our hope entirely upon it. It's not a word among other words that will help you find the the answer to your longing for love and life and hope. It's the only truest love. It's the only truest hope. Because the word is the love of the Father that is revealed in and only in Jesus himself. And so Jesus, who is God's word to us, he refuses to be treated like a myth. He's not a, he's not a spiritual illustration for some deeper truth or deeper reality. He is the truth. He is the reality. He is the center of reality because it's through him and by him and for him that all things exist. And he refuses to be treated as a fable. No, he says, my word of love to you is real because I actually, really, whether you accept it or not, lived and died and rose from the dead. And in real space and time, his power and beauty, his glory, which is the substance of the hope of everything, was unveiled to Peter. So that he could say to us, I saw it. I heard it. And the implication of all of this is that outside of Jesus, we can, so to speak, only karate kick across the great divide to hold on to ourselves, which is to hold on to nothing. Outside of Jesus, we can only reach out to grab hold of a word of love and a hope that suspends us in midair, hanging over nothing. Because can you really grab hold of a a lasting and true and fulfilling and ultimate word of love and hope within yourself? Can you grab hold of a hope lasting and ultimate within someone else, from someone else? Can you grab an ultimate word of love within politics, within parenting, within the pursuit of the comfortable modern life? 
through anything in this experience of our lives that we might look for it in? No. This is Peter's point. The only love and hope worth staking your life upon is in Jesus. And so to hear the word of God, if you want to hear this word, it begins with despairing, despairing of hearing that word within ourselves. That word does not become more hearable the easier your life gets. It doesn't become audible when you get your act together. It doesn't become more audible by trying to mash it together with other cleverly, culturally devised myths or fables about the good life and how you get it. You can find it only looking outside of yourself, listening outside of yourself to God himself as he's spoken in Jesus. And so listening outside of ourselves, this is our prayer this morning. Let me hear your word. Let me hear your word. Would you say that with me? Let me hear your word. That's the first thing. The word is without. It's outside of us, but it's also within. It's within. The word originates without us, but it's given to us so it might take root within us. And this word that comes from outside of us, Jesus himself is so certain, Peter says, that he says in verse 19, pay attention. It's present. Pay attention. You don't have to go scrambling to find it. Pay attention. Attend to God's word. And that means more than simply just listening to it in one ear and out the other. It means devote yourself to it. Devote yourself to it so that the word would take such deep root within us that we would be changed by its power and beauty. So pay attention. But how do we pay attention to the word God speaks to us? You can see there we pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. If you're in a room that is pitch black and someone lights a match, your attention will immediately go to the match. And so it seems that part of what Peter is getting at here is to pay a specific, unique attention to the word God speaks to us. But the fact that this paying attention happens in the darkness is significant. The dark is a frightening place, especially was in the ancient world where there was no light pollution. When it got dark, it got really dark. And so the dark place that Peter has in mind is likely the place of terror, of anxiety, of loneliness, of dread. And the darkness is is a fact of the real world. The darkness is the fact or the reality of violence and theft, lies and domestic abuse. It's the reality of losing your family and your friends to the grave or facing the grave yourself. But the darkness isn't just a reality out there. It's also reality within our hearts. The darkness is the truth or the reality of our bitterness and envy, our grudge-keeping, our prejudice, our self-loathing, and our self-worship, our outward easy virtue, and our internal hidden indifference to the pain of others. Peter says, pay attention in these places. There in the dark, listen for the word. If I'm honest, that sounds horrible. (laughs) That sounds like someone telling me, go listen to a recording of your band from college. Sounds really bad. I don't want to do that. And so why would Peter say, listen in these places? 
To a recent icebreaker question, which was, what's your favorite thing about Knoxville? My answer was the chemical sunsets. And that sounds sarcastic, but I really mean it. Because in September, when you get that sunset that is produced by the smog pouring out of the men's bathrooms in Neyland Stadium, and though those colors wouldn't register on the Roy G. Biv uh, sequence, it really is the thing that fills my heart with scruffy city joy. And at the same time, I also love bright stars. And if I want to see bright stars, I have to get out of Dodge. You have to get out of town. You have to go on the Blue Ridge Parkway or go to Max Patch, North Carolina. Or even better, you go to some, one of the remotest places in the Nevada desert. And there in the real darkness, it's like you're being reintroduced to the stars for the first time, right? To see the brightest of stars, here's the point, you have to look in the darkest of places. This is how we attend to the word God speaks. His word is the brightest of lights, and so we have to look in the dark, dark places. If we pay slightest attention to the darkness that pervades and covers this world, if we direct our eyes to the misery of the poor or some of the doom that we scroll past, then our hearts should cry out, how long, O Lord? But with our hearts aching and our ears open, God's word to us in Jesus becomes discernible, audible, because his word is the promise that the Jesus who unveiled the full brightness of his glory to Peter did so right smack in the middle of a ruined world. Peter saw the overwhelming realness of a hope that's so, so full, so ready to burst forth that when it appears again, it will immediately make all well. All will be made well. So Peter invites us, pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, because there, in the darkness, the word is discernible. It's near, it's audible. But if we only look to the dark places out there, then we will inevitably lash out in anger that will lead to pride and apathy, and God's word will remain distant from us. So we have to pay attention to the darkness in here. If we will let the corner get peeled back on our vulnerability and our complicity in evil, our real woundedness, if we peer even just a bit into the depths of our fear and resentment and worry and greed, we'll begin to glimpse the terrible truth, which is that there is nothing within me that would indicate or guarantee that I will in the end, hear that word of love and hope that I so long to hear and so fear I will miss out on. But it's exactly there. It's exactly in the glaring darkness of my heart's vulnerability that the word is hearable. Because the word is the promise that the Jesus who was gloriously unveiled on the top of the mountain is the same Jesus who descended back down the mountain in the form of a slave to bear the cross. And the glory of that form was no less glorious. It was the form of God's glory in full volume pouring out love into the depths of the recesses of the sin that is in every single one of our hearts, in all of its darkness. The word is the promise of the cross. And if we want to hear that word, we have to go to the place where the cross is not only understandable, but glorious. If we pay attention to the darkness within, our hearts should cry out, have mercy, O Lord. 
but with our hearts aching and our ears beginning to open, the word comes to us. To our surprise, it's the same word that Peter heard. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased himself so he might share this word with you and sharing himself, which must mean that Jesus is with you in the darkness. In the quiet of the bleakest night, listen. There you'll hear its word, his word, and it won't, you won't just hear it. It will begin to flicker within you. It will begin to grow within you so that it does its work of bringing you low so it might raise you up, making you to die so it might raise you up to new life. This word that God speaks to us of love and of hope in Jesus, it's hearable. It comes from without us to live within us. But as we have it right now, as good as it is, it's good enough to save you. It's only provisional. God has spoken it to us. He continues to speak it to us, and he will do so, Peter writes in verse 19, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. When Jesus appears to us again in final glory to us, to the world, his beauty will break the darkness. When the night breaks, when the light bursts forth without end, without limit, then a star that shines in the morning will Peter says, rise in our hearts. What does that mean? During the Civil War, which is a phrase I often say, during the Civil War, a Union officer, Sullivan Ballou, he wrote this famous love letter to his wife, Sarah, before he died in the Battle of Bull Run. And this letter that has stood the test of time, thanks to Ken Burns, it bridges the distance of 400 miles between him Sullivan and his wife, Sarah, and it still communicates his love for Sarah in his absence. If you have a dial in your head that will allow you to hear these words in the accent of a Rhode Island Union officer in 1860, feel free to do so. I'm not going to do that so as not to ruin it, but this is what he writes to his wife, Sarah. Sarah, my love for you is deathless. It seems to bind me with mighty cables that nothing but omnipotence can break. If I do not return, my dear Sarah, never forget how much I love you, nor that when my last breath escapes me on the battlefield, it will whisper your name. But, O oh Sarah, if the dead can come back to this earth and flit unseen around those they loved, I shall always be near you in the garish day, in the darkest night, amidst your happiest scenes and gloomiest hours always. And if the soft breeze fans your cheek, it shall be my breath. Or the cool air cools your throbbing temples, it shall be my spirit passing by. Sarah, do not mourn me, dear. Think I am gone and wait for me, for we shall meet again. The word God speaks to us now is a far greater love letter than even this. It bridges the distance between us and Jesus, the bright morning star. Jesus, the word that we long to hear. But when he appears, his light will rise in our hearts because we will see him face to face. And the word that is without us, the Father's delight for the Son, will be perfectly within us so that there will be no more disbelief, no more distance, and no more need of love letters because we will be face to face with our beloved. But until then, he calls your name in the darkness. The table in front of us, it's God's word to us, made visible, made touchable, made even digestible. And like the word that God speaks, this bread and this wine, it's provisional. 
It's the seal of a love letter until we see our beloved face to face. It comes from without us, a concrete declaration of the hope of this world that is given to us in Jesus. It's the gift of the real love we receive in Jesus because he really died and he really rose from the dead. But it's also a word that comes to live within us, to be within us. And so it's a glimpse into the feast to come that is now breaking into the middle of a broken and dark world. This is the light that shines to the deepest recesses of your heart with compassion and with healing. And it's a word that's hearable in the bleakest night. But if you're like me, you have at times felt distant from the word because of this sense of seeming impossibility that this word would actually really be for you. Because of this sense that if you really, really, if you actually heard it, if you really took it within yourself, it'd be more pain than you can bear. But God so perfectly loves you that he meets you here so that he won't even leave you alone in the pain of being perfectly loved. Instead, he calls you to himself that he might strengthen you by his love so that you could begin to actually hear this. You could actually receive it. And it actually might grow within you. The table is a promise that God's word, who is Jesus, is for you. So here's our prayer before God this morning. Let me hear your word. Let me hear your word. Would you say that with me one more time? Let me hear your word.